I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, and it is such a treat to be here today. I actually cannot even confess. I'm just going to pinch myself. Okay, this is actually happening. We have with us Dr. Shri Kumar Rao. How are you? I am fine, Amrit. How are you? <laughs> I'm really good, as you can tell. I'm hoping your ears are okay. I know that was really loud. For those tuning in to Dr. Rao for the first time, guys, this is going to take a minute. Strap yourself in. This is really exciting because Dr. Rao conceived the innovative course called Creativity and personal mastery. There's actually a Mind Valley course around this, but at the core of it, students found it so overwhelmingly powerful that it remains the only business school course in the world to actually have its own alumni association. He's an executive at Warner Communications. He was an executive at Warner Communications in McGraw Hill and later taught this CPM at some of the world's leading business schools, including Columbia, Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University, London Business School, and Haas School of Management at the University of California at Berkeley. This course shows students how to discover their unique purpose, their creativity and happiness through group work and a philosophical perspective. I really cannot wait to dive into this. Its popularity has led to write-ups in New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and dozens of other publications. He's an executive coach to senior business executives whom he helps find deeper meaning and engagement in their work. He's been a keynote speaker at many prestigious conferences all over the world, traveling, doing incredible work for humanity, you could almost say. His programs have helped thousands of executives and entrepreneurs all over the world discover deeper meaning and enable them to achieve quantum leaps in effectiveness. I love that word, effectiveness, not efficiency, effectiveness. Graduates of Rao's workshops have become more creative and more inspiring leaders. He's the author of several books, but also 
Are you ready to succeed, which are unconventional strategies for achieving personal mastery in business and life? And he's also been a contributor to Forbes, Fortune, Harvard Business Review, and Inc. Magazine. His latest book, which we had a massive talk around at Mind Valley just recently, is titled Happiness at Work Be Resilient, Motivated, and Successful No Matter What. It is such a treat to have you here. <laughs> My pleasure, Alfred. <laughs> I love reaching people down under. Down under, welcome. So, yeah, we're, uh, we were just just having a, a wonderful conversation about Australia, and, and it has and it holds a holds a nice little spot in uh, in your heart. I'm glad to hear. Oh that. yes. <laughs> so stay tuned. We'll try and like mastermind some way to get a to, to get you down there. So I'd love to start this conversation in a um, in a really I guess a normal sort of place. Like, where did your journey for business begin? My journey. Towards business begin? Was it something that you were always going to no, be invested in business? No, no, not, not at all. Uh, I actually was a very good student. And in India, in those days, if you were a good student, you went into science. So right. I did. I went and got a degree in physics. Mm-hmm. And I really loved physics. In fact, if I had the good fortune to have studied at Caltech under Richard Feynman, I probably would still be in physics. Right. But... Uh, I was at Delhi University and the Indian education system is mm-hmm. uniquely geared towards killing off any interest you might have <laughs> in science. And it so happens that my class was a particularly brilliant class. And I think out of the top 10 ranks in the university, seven were from my class. Wow. And I was not one of them. Okay. So if but you're quite a, good, a caliber, yeah, high caliber, if you're a good physicist in India, you don't eat very well. Mm-hmm. And at that time, there was this newfangled thing called the MBA rolling around. And yeah. uh, the only, I was not particularly interested in that. But the only thing I knew was if you got an MBA from this great institution, you got a high-paying job, which sounded good. Yeah. So I became an, uh, <coughs> went in and got my MBA. Yeah. And while I was there, I got my I took my GMAT. In those days, it was known as the ATGSB. And I got a very high score and I knew I could get into any PhD program I wanted. Yeah. I had no interest in doing a PhD in business, but I had a huge interest in coming to America. Uh-huh. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out if you want to come to America, it's an excellent idea to come on somebody else's nickel if you can manage it. <laughs> and here were all these great universities saying, Dear Mr. Rao, please come do PhD, we will give you fellowship. That yeah. means money. Mm-hmm. I said, yes, I will do Let's PhD. Do yeah. I came to Columbia because it was in New York and that sounded good. I started my PhD in marketing because at that time, Columbia was the world's best school in marketing. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much how I got into it. I was drifting. Amazing. Amazing. What a thing to drift into. And so from there, I guess, I think it's almost we could draw the parallels that with your passions with physics behind that, you've been able to deconstruct a lot of like, when I look at the work that you do with business and like executives and stuff like that, you've really taken the time to deconstruct what is at the core of business, what is really, uh, I guess, driving humans at the core of their... Driving humans is probably more accurate than driving business. I... Uh, uh, I didn't drop out of Columbia, but I took time out to work in corporate America. And initially, I was hugely successful. Uh-huh. Uh, very early into my stint at Warner, I got the opportunity to do a really big project, 
Warner Brothers, which is the motion picture subsidiary of Warner uh, Communications, came up with a blockbuster film and the advertising agency uh, came up with seven different print executions. Yeah. So we had to decide which one to run. Yep. So too big a project for me to have done normally because I was very fresh at the company at that time. But my boss had a personal emergency. His boss had to go to Europe on a long scheduled trip. Right. So, you know, I got to do it. So I surveyed... Uh, thousands of moviegoers in four major motion picture markets and made a recommendation which was accepted. One of the few recommendations I made at Warner that was actually accepted. Uh-huh. And uh, the movie went on to become an all-time blockbuster. It's still on the list of 50 top grossing films of all time. Wow. And it did wonders for my career. Yeah. In case any of you listeners are wondering at what the movie was, uh-huh. it was the original Exorcist. Ah. And it is the only horror film in that list of 50 top grossing movies yeah. of all time. It's an all-time classic. Yeah. Uh, all the other movies are what we call general interest movies, you know, Star Wars, Lord yep. of the Rings, uh, Forrest Gump, Gone with the Wind. More palatable. Uh, they, they're general interest movies. The Exorcist yeah. is the only horror film to make that list. Yeah, so wow. it's still something, huh? Yeah, incredible. Incredible. And so in that journey, like, you started to learn about was it always just this innate curiosity to try and like you just had this innate curiosity about how people ticked and not really what happened is i was very busy you know living the good life Mm. and uh, after my success with the exorcist i was rapidly promoted in my early 20s i was heading the corporate research department reporting directly to the president so very good days but basically i got burnt out by corporate politics Mm. so you know, I had a couple of other jobs after that with the Continental Group and then with McGraw Hill and the politics followed me everywhere. So I said, the hell with it. I have a PhD. Let me go to universities where there is no politics. <laughs> yes, I discovered that myself. <laughs> I also discovered that. I discovered that later. Yeah, yeah. And so then I joined the university and, and basically I stagnated. And there was a time when I woke up feeling very sorry for myself. You know, I had this great corporate career and, you know, I threw it away. Yeah. And all my colleagues and uh, friends went on and, you know, they did extremely well financially and otherwise. And here I am stuck in a university doing, I really had a pretty party of one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Now, all my life, uh, I had been doing a lot of reading, sure. spiritual biography, mystical autobiography. They take me to a wonderful place. Yeah. And I came back to the real world and it sucked. Yeah, And I remember thinking, if all of this is useful, only if you're sitting quietly thinking peaceful thoughts, but not when you came to the hurly-burly, then it's actually useless. Okay. But somehow I knew that wasn't true. I knew that this was very valuable. Maybe even the only thing that was valuable, I just hadn't figured out how to make use of it. Yeah. So one day I had my bright idea, which is, why don't I take the teachings of the world's great masters strip them of religious, cultural, and other connotations, Mm -hmm. and adapt them into exercises acceptable to intelligent people in a post-industrial society. And the thought of doing that made me come alive. After this guy, I was a marketing guy, right? So anytime I got a bright idea, my immediate question was, will others be interested? Is there a market for it? And if I thought there was, I'd develop it. If not, I'd drop it. This is the first time I didn't ask the question. I was going to create the course because I needed it for me. Mm. If people enrolled, fantastic. If they didn't, God bless them. But I was going to create the course because I needed that for me. 
So I did create the course. It did well. I modified it, offered it again. It did better. I moved it to Columbia Business School in 1999, and it exploded. It was the only course at Columbia, which is a university-wide draw. Yeah. And then it spread by word of mouth. Students from London Business School came to Columbia on exchange, and they raved about it and said, you've got to bring it there. Yeah. So I taught it at Columbia. I taught it at London Business School. I taught it at Kellogg. I taught it at Berkeley. I taught mm-hmm. it at Imperial College. And now I teach it privately in New York and London. It's amazing. And that's the personal mastery. And Creativity and personal mastery, yes. Yeah, brilliant. I Thank you so much for taking the time to articulate the journey behind that's that. That's how it Because, happens. yeah, there's, you know, I think it's very easy for us to sort of see where you are today, sharing the amazing wisdom that, you know, has been afforded from the East. Um, but you've done such an amazing job of peeling back the principles and being making them practical. And I think therein lies the real word for me is that this is real, really practical wisdom. Yes. It's what I would like. If someone had to say, you know, Dr. Shrikamara, I'll put him in two words, it'd be like practical wisdom. <laughs> you know, that's pretty much what yeah, I would That's a good way of looking at it because – there is no question about the East and mm. particularly India, where you know I come from and where you have your roots, mm. is a wellspring of immense knowledge. Mm. But as a culture, we have done a very, very, very poor job of pointing out that this isn't something esoteric that's out there in the clouds, yeah. but this is something which has extremely practical implications for how you live your life. Mm. That is a, a huge gap, and by small way, in trying to fill that gap. Yeah, well, some would argue it's quite a large way. <laughs> You're doing an amazing job. So let's... um. If I, if you don't mind, I'd like to begin to just sort of uh, peel into some of the work that you do offer because sure. I think the key place then, maybe this is the right place to start, is where I started interfacing with your work was um, through Mind Valley. I'd realized that, you know, Vision had been coached by you at a certain point and then there's this deep philosophy about means, goals, and end goals, but you articulate it really cleanly in terms of, you know, when we go to set goals, we often – said, if I do this, then I'll be happy. If I... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Have this X amount of money in my bank balance, then I'll be happy. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Absolutely. Uh, Let me preface that by saying that probably in some way, shape, fashion, or form, our principal desire is to be happy. You know, if you're a father, 
or a mother and you're asked, hey, what do you want your kids to be? Happy is mentioned more often than all the rest of the responses combined. Yeah. So we have this need to be happy. We want those close to us to be happy. Mm. And yet the vast majority of people as, uh, you know, uh, <coughs> who, who, who was that, who put it so eloquently, we live our lives of quiet desperation. Mm. Yeah. And we are unhappy to larger or smaller extents. There is an undercurrent of anxiety and tension in our lives. Yeah. We always feel we need to be somewhere else, doing something else. We're dissatisfied with our progress. And I started wondering why this is. And the answer, of course, was right there in uh, our uh, philosophical and traditional heritage. Mm. We live our lives in the future predicated on something happening. Mm. And the notion is, if I get this, whatever the if is, a better salary, a better boss, a bigger house, you know, whatever, if I get this, then I will be happy. That is a model. Yeah. It is a broken model, but we don't recognize that the model is broken. Mm. If you look back in your own life, Amrit, I'm sure you can recall lots of instances where you desperately wanted something and you got it. <laughs> yeah. And did it make a difference? Yeah, you were thrilled for a day, a week, a minute. Mm. And, you know, then it simply became part of the background of your life and you accepted it and went on elsewhere. True. So that is the way it is. So the way we rationalize it to ourselves is by saying, you know, I thought if I got this, I would be happy. I now recognize I made a mistake. Mm. I thought if I was department head, I would be happy. And I recognize that I need to be CEO. Mm. I now recognize I need to be dictator of the world. It doesn't matter. It's all it goes on. It's yeah. the model that's broken. It's not what you put on that. And that is something that the vast majority of people never recognize. Yeah. So what our tradition tells us is that there is nothing that you have to do, get, or be in order to be happy. Happiness is really inbuilt inside you. Uh -huh. And darn it, that is true. We are unhappy because we've spent our entire life learning to be unhappy. Mm. And the way we learn to be unhappy is by buying into the if-then model, and the model is broken. That was a huge revelation for me. Me too. And I'm trying to share, share that with people. Because you can be happy right now. Yes, you want something. Whatever the something is, you want chocolate cake, you want uh, a better job. Mm. By all means, try your level best to get your chocolate cake or your better job. Yeah. But get it, direct your attention towards it and try your level best because you feel that you want to do it. Mm. Not because it will make you happy. Yeah. Your happiness is with you right now here. It's not in that or in getting that. Yeah. Once you really recognize that and internalize it, every day becomes a blast. So you're working <laughs> and you're trying your level best to accomplish. And if you succeed, fantastic. If you don't succeed, fantastic. You've severed the if-then link. Yeah. And when you do that, life is a joy. Oh, such <laughs> unbelievable joy. <laughs> I love that. And I think that opens a gateway to perhaps feeling that you know, there is, it's not incumbent, and I think this is the way you put it, it's incumbent upon you to actually still go and 
strive. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Anytime you have a vision of the world, it's incumbent upon you. You're required to go out and try your level best uh-huh. to achieve it. Yeah. You may succeed, you may not succeed. If you attended my talk yesterday, you know, I talked about control and you don't have control. You never had control. You never will have control. <laughs> Stop freaking That's everybody fine. out. <laughs> That's fine. Here's the, yeah. here's the paradox, Amrit. The more you accept that you don't have control and you let go of your need to have control, mm-hmm. Paradoxically, that's when you find you have the greatest control. <laughs> it's a complete paradox. Yeah, that. Yeah, I think you were describing an example yesterday with like conversations and when you have control and uh, when you have power in a conversation, right? It's like when you're ready to walk out on the conversation. Whenever you're negotiating with someone, you're never in a better position than when you're genuinely prepared to walk away. Mm. It works the same way in life. You really want something, you try your level best to achieve it, and yet you're completely at peace whether you get it or not. It's a no-lose proposition. (laughs) I love that. That's really amazing. There's another thing that you shared which, you know, I think was really bold and um, continually, you know, I have an immense amount of respect and admiration for the work that you do. And um, you came out and pretty much the first thing you said yesterday referring to your talk is like, hey, today you're going to interface with a lot of models. And these models, you can continue to strip them back. And at some point, for sure, they will disintegrate Mm -hmm. because they are models. Mm -hmm. And the humility behind that (laughs) really, really speaks to me. Thank you, Amrit, but it wasn't humility. It's just plain <laughs> fact. <laughs> it's plain fact. Yeah, yeah. So because I think a lot of times we get wrapped up in like, you know, this is the answer for me. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where I want to go with this and this is definitely what's going to serve me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even with business coaching recently at My Mali, they've been saying to a certain level, certain things will serve you and then you've got to unlearn a certain amount of things to move into the next stage. How do you keep, like, interfacing with what is the strategy in terms of which models? Like, how do you do, How do you choose a model, basically? You see, you pick a model and say, is this model serving me right? Mm. The mistake that most of us make is we get hung up in asking, is this true? Is right. this right? Mm. That's the wrong question to ask because every model at some level is true. Like, you know, go back a hundred years thousand years the earth is flat (laughs) that's a model and it worked worked for a very long time until it no longer worked the moon is made of green cheese that worked for a long time too (laughs) these are all models and all models work when Newton came up with his you know gravitation is a force and it tracks hey that worked for a very long time until Einstein came up and said hey it's simply a distortion in uh, uh, a space time continuum Mm. and Tomorrow, tomorrow could be 10 years or 100 years. Somebody will come up with something which is entirely different. Mm-hmm. And that will be there. So these are all models. The thing about models is not are they true or false. The thing about models is are they serving me? Do they work well in my life now? Mm-hmm. And if the answer to that is yes, you adopt them, you tinker with them to make it better for your unique circumstances. And if the answer to that is no, drop them and move on. 
Right. That's a mistake people make. They insist on trying to pass judgment on whether it's true or false. It's irrelevant. All models, to some extent, are true. All models will eventually crumble if you subject them to deep scrutiny. All the models that you currently hold that you have not subjected to the same scrutiny will also crumble. Mm. So just recognize you're playing with a bunch of models. It's not whether it's true or false. It's do they serve me well. And a model that serves you well today may very well not serve you well tomorrow, in which case you will discard it and replace it with something better. And this is the rest of your life process. <laughs> I love that. And is that deep-seated in some piece of wisdom that perhaps, you know, in Eastern philosophy, they believe that the entire reality is some sort yeah, of an illusion? It's something that we created. Yeah. It uh, We persist in thinking that we live in a real world. Mm -hmm. We don't live, we live in a construct. Mm -hmm. I mentioned that yesterday, it's like we're all living in the matrix. The only difference is this is not a matrix constructed by an alien civilization not to enslave us. Mm -hmm. We constructed it with our mental chatter and our mental models. Mm -hmm. And that's actually highly liberating because if it's something we constructed and we don't like it, we can deconstruct it or at least those parts of it that are not working and build it together again. Mm. And this, again, is a rest of your life process. So on this journey of models, there are some key models that you would be identifying that do help other people because there's so much work that comes out of the Rao Institute mm. and this course that, you know, is completely impacted and changed the life of so many incredible individuals. So... What are some of those models? I know you spoke yesterday to mindfulness. You spoke to gratitude. Uh, but oh, one of the key... The models are too numerous to name. Yeah. <laughs> just too numerous. What are some of your favorites that you consistently find yourself Oh, there's a whole pile of You know, if I get this job, I will be happy. That's mm. a model. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I make a lot of money, if I become CEO, I will be happy. Mm. And uh, I actually knew a person who went through that and he did, in fact, become CEO. And there were all kinds of pressures on his time. He had to deal with the executives who were fighting with each other. And uh, a, a whole bunch of say, hey, this wasn't what I thought <laughs> at all. Yeah, this wasn't my Or my consider our yeah. revered leader in America, Donald Trump, in an <laughs> interview, actually said, this job is tougher than I thought it was. I didn't think it was going to be yeah. like this. Yeah. So it it happens all the time. Mm. These more, as I said, the question is not is this model true. Mm. The question is does this model serve me? Yeah. And the persons who come to my program are by and large very bright and very successful. Mm -hmm. So the vast majority of models that they hold actually do serve them well. That's what got them to the positions that they were in. Mm -hmm. But some of them do not serve them well, and some are positively dysfunctional. Yeah. So what I advise them to do is don't look at every model you hold, because you'll spend a lifetime just categorizing <laughs> them. Yep. Look at the situations in your life that you find unpleasant, and every time you find a situation in your life that you find unpleasant mm -hmm. and it persists, you're using one or more mental models that are not serving you well. Yeah, right. Those are the ones that you work with and work on. So in that, I've kind of 
you're using unpleasantness as a diagnostic tool mm-hmm. where things are not showing up, which is yes. makes sense when you articulate it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think people don't necessarily look at their life under the hood that way. You know, generally it's, you know, my life as a general, it's like, let's say I have financial woes. Mm-hmm. Um, then it's like, okay, my life is struggling mm-hmm. across all, all categories. And I think there's some real wisdom in that in identifying where it is mm-hmm. and what the models are mm-hmm. and what to really dive deep into in that space in terms of using that as a diagnostic tool for where you need to move in to create some change. Mm-hmm. So in terms of creating that change then, you know, I think you just mentioned this, which is, you know, there's so much space to take on models that can serve you again and again and again and again. But obviously there's a sense of overwhelm that can come with that as well. It in terms can, of, yeah. So is there like a prescription in terms of only looking at one area of your life at a time or yeah. a few? What I do is pick, pick the greatest pain point you have now and we'll work on that first. Yeah. Uh, the techniques I share are so powerful mm. that initially there was a tendency for people to say, hey, if it you know, works with this area, it'll work in this area of my life and this yeah. other area of my life, and they start trying to make wholesale changes. <laughs> and I say, hey, don't do that. Work with one issue at a time, and it's only when you have a very high degree of confidence that that particular issue has been resolved that you move on to the next one. So you've got to be patient and persistent. But if you're mm-hmm. patient and persistent, you'll find in a very short time, uh, certainly within weeks, definitely within a year, you'll have a profound transformation in your life. Yeah, well, I think there's, uh, <laughs> you mentioned that really briefly, but I think that persistence and patience is a really deep medicine. I also think in our society, especially this current age that we're in, mm-hmm. are there two key things that we lack probably the most as a generation? Yep, probably accurate. And unfortunately, we have a great many devices, both uh, electronic devices and platforms like social media, Mm. which are designed to uh, disrupt our ability to pay continued attention, focus. And I think that is harming us as a species. Mm. In fact, the gentleman who was head of uh, marketing for Facebook and who took their audience from a few thousand to over a billion yeah. publicly proclaimed that he was uh, profoundly sorry for what he had done because he thought that it was ripping human society apart wow. and he apologized for his uh, role in that and I think that there's more than a grain of truth in that wow that's quite heavy. And so, but we're still using those tools all the time. Absolutely. You can use them consciously or you can use them unconsciously. Right. And the point is that if people use them unconsciously, it doesn't just affect them. It also affects you because we live in an integrated society. So that is a real challenge. Right. And so does that make it more difficult for us to find who we are, in your opinion, in terms of... It poses an additional challenge. Yes, that's true, which means that you have to be more diligent and overcompensate in order not to let uh, something external affect you. Mm -hmm. Because that was something that was really profound yesterday, which was, you know, beyond the functional title of what you do... What is behind that? What is 
What is the intent behind that and where does it reach out and actually impact the world? Mm. We tend to look at it in very narrow terms. You know, I <coughs> I make the glass that this water is in. Okay, <laughs> so you make the glass. Yeah. Well, what does the glass do? It holds water. When somebody is thirsty, it helps that person quench thirst. There's a range of uses to that. Mm. And that in turn contributes to the well-being of the person, well-being of society. And you've had a role in mm. all of those can you start identifying and taking responsibility for that role? Mm. It's like you throw a rock in the uh, river or a pond and the ripples spread out. And what we do is we only look at the first two ripples or first ripple or the first two ripples. Look out to see where all the rest of the ripples go. Yeah, That's what I encourage people to do and anchor yourself in the totality rather than the first ripple. Mm. That's what I mean when I say you've got to build a cathedral with your life. Don't break rocks. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful metaphor. And for those tuning in, like we get focused consistently on breaking the rocks, which is doing the menial mm. tasks. Whereas, yeah, the story you shared was amazing in terms of you know the person that built the cathedral, the person that was breaking the rocks. Exactly. He's deteriorated. He's moved on to his next thing but the cathedral still stands and the person that built the cathedral still stands. I think that's um, that's really incredible, like, yeah, wisdom in, in there. I would then, I think the conversation is leaning into the idea of service. Can you tell us more about service and why that's sure. so important? We live in a me-centered universe where we are predominantly preoccupied with what's happening to me. Yeah. How does it impact me? Mm. And if that's where you spend most of your time, you're going to live a mediocre existence. That's just the way it is. <laughs> it's just the way it is. <laughs> the only way that you can get out of that is to live a life of service. You need to have a cause which is bigger than yourself and which brings a greater good to a greater community. And you get to decide what the greater good is and what the greater community is. You have tremendous flexibility. Mm. But unless you can find something which is bigger than you are, to which you can subsume, if not your whole life, at least a big chunk of it, yeah. you're going to live a mediocre existence. Yeah. And is that in terms of, obviously, the worldly things that you may wish to be part, part of, but actually the, the fulfillment board. as well? Across the board. Mm. We go out and we look for purpose, we look for fulfillment, we look for what can I be passionate about. Mm. Those are not things you find outside. Passion does not exist in the job, it exists inside you. Mm. And if you don't figure out a way by which you can ignite it within yourself right where you are, you're not going to find it outside. But if you ignite it within yourself right where you are, you'll be surprised at how fast the external world will change to conform to the new person that you're becoming. It's like you and the universe are locked in a dance. Mm. And when you lead differently, mm. your partner has no choice but to follow differently. That's what I encourage all persons who take my program to find out for themselves. You're in a dance with the universe. When you lead differently, the universe does not have a choice. It has to follow differently. Mm. So even in around this, like the languaging that you're using, you know, the universe um, and our relationship with it, mm-hmm. it's somewhat poignant for me that, you know, 10 years ago, I'm not sure if there was a business coach that was talking language like this, mm-hmm. you know, 
what does that reflect on, in your opinion, the time that we're in now? Is there a need for spirituality to bring itself into I the world? I think that there is a need. Mm-hmm. And people often ask me, you know, is there more of this than there has been? And I honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. Because the persons who come to me and are attracted to what I say are obviously aligned in that direction. Otherwise, they wouldn't come to Mm. me in the first place. So I'm uh, surrounded, if you will, by a bubble of Mm. people, like-minded people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is this quantity growing? I think it is growing. I think one uh, external indicator of that is the immense popularity of Mind Valley, and it's there. Uh, another is uh, other companies like Mind Valley, like Sounds True, for example, is yeah. also having a banner one. It is also completely aligned. Its members are also completely aligned with this. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I look upon those as hopeful signs. Yeah. But then on the other hand, I look at what's happening in the political scene, not just in America, but worldwide, and mm-hmm. say, Jake, you know, we seem to be <laughs> regressing pretty fast. So overall, I just don't know. Yeah. So I've now come to the point where I really don't care. I'm just doing my thing to spread what I think is uh, appropriate and good, and the universe will eventually decide what happens. Mm-hmm. And I'm perfectly happy playing my role, and I have consciously cut myself off from speculation of is it going to work, what's going to happen. Mm. Is that consciously disconnected from that aspect because it doesn't serve you? It doesn't serve me. It can be an energy drain. Yeah. So. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. So there was one question that I really was burning to ask you from yesterday's talk. At a point you mentioned that, you know, there is always two things, and this may be a model, but there is what you do, and your attitude towards it. And that really landed for me in a big way yesterday. You know, there's, but the question that I wanted to ask you is, in your opinion, is either more important or is one more important than the other? Well, the second's more important. I, yesterday in my talk, I remember I said attitude, but I'd like to refine that and go deeper. Mm. It's who you do, it's what you do, and who you are being as you do it. Mm. And who you are being as you do it is much more important than uh, what you do. Give a triple, a trivial example. You have this really sharp knife and a mugger can use it to, you know, slit your your stomach and take your wallet. Mm. And a surgeon uses exactly the same thing to slit your stomach, but you know, he does it to save your life. Healing. Yeah. Okay. The intent is different. Mm. Whatever you do, the intent with which you do that is what really counts. That is what uh, makes a difference in your growth and development. And in many cases, that is also what makes a difference to the other person. So whenever you are, I would say, think of the intent. Who are you being? Let me give you a case. Yep. <clears throat> Take customer service. Yep. You know, you can say, I want to deliver great customer service. And I, I'm going to deliver great customer service because if I deliver great customer service, my customer will be happy. He'll come back and buy more. He'll refer all his friends to me and business will flourish. And that's fantastic. And, you know, I'm all for it. But that is still a transactional standpoint. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I can deliver great customer service because when I deliver great customer service, it makes the world a better place and it brings happiness and cheer to that. And yeah, a byproduct may happen that I'll get more business, but it's a byproduct. It's not mm-hmm. something that I focus on at all. Yeah. And I'm delivering great customer service because I can and it makes you know the person happy and makes the world a better place. Do you understand the difference between that? You know, people can be doing exactly the same thing but where they're anchored is different. In their intentions and their core values. So I I ask people to anchor themselves in who am I being Mm. as opposed to what am I doing. Yeah. You really have to go a fair distance with me in my program before these kinds of subtle differences start making uh, sense. Yeah, yeah. So in and around that, Because I think we have this epidemic of purpose. People are searching for purpose. People Mm -hmm. are consistently looking for deeper and deeper meaning. And I think it's um, perhaps just a sign of our times with where things are at. But I think the question that arises for me then is, in your opinion, you know, this scan, this search for meaning, is that as important as we are placing the emphasis on it? Or is it a matter of where it is important? I think it's also terrible. It's terrible in the following sense. We're looking for purpose as if purpose is somewhere out there and we have to find it. Mm. That's as much of a fallacy as uh, the if-then model. Right. Purpose doesn't exist outside. It exists inside you. It Mm. is something that you create. It's Mm. not something that you find. Right. And most people are completely oblivious to that. So when you say create purpose, what does that look like? What that means essentially is that the mental models you hold and the person you are being gives you the purpose. It's Mm. not the activity. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. We are going (laughs) deep. Yeah, that's the beauty of conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the beauty of conversation. Yeah, so that is, um, that makes, that actually makes a lot of sense. But it takes a whole rewiring of your reward mechanism. And this is where we started with the if and then. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Perfect. Wow, I think that's a massive takeaway. Mm -hmm. So, in terms of how you show up, is fundamentally the key. Yes. Fundamentally the key. Absolutely. And so, in and around that, we can have conversations around state, around energy management, around well-being. Any one of the things we talked about can be an entire day or several days worth, worth of, of diving deep. And this is absolutely course and stuff. Exists. And cumulatively, it's a lifetime's worth of effort. Yeah, yeah. And so with the course as well, like people would be coming along to deep, dive deep into the principles that you share. And this is just a nugget of insight in terms of how deep they can go. Um, but on the back of that, you know, are they empowered to consistently do the work on themselves as they go forward? That is up to them. Right. Basically, what I like to tell them is what I do is I take them down a rabbit hole mm. and they get to decide how deep and how far they want to go. Sure. And if they want to go all the way and emerge on the other side, they find that there is no them left to emerge. <laughs> Ramakrishna had a, well, he's another Indian sage. He had a wonderful way of doing it. It's like the salt dollar decided to find out how deep the ocean is. Mm. So he went deeper and deeper. And long before he got to how to the end of the ocean, the depth of the ocean, there was no more salt dollar. Mm. 
So it works pretty much the way it is. What I do is I introduce them to the rabbit hole and they go sufficiently down the rabbit hole to realize, hey, my life is a heck of a lot better for entering the rabbit hole. Mm. But then they have to decide how far they want to go. Yeah. And as Ramdas put it beautifully, most of us don't want to escape from prison. We just want better food. <laughs> Which I thought was a great. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> it is funny, but it's also profound. Wow. Yeah, it is profound. It is profound, but too profound. I think that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Okay, amazing. And so for those that want to access, um, you know, more of your wisdom, more of your insights, what's the best way to get in touch? Uh, they can email me. Mm -hmm. I have coaching clients with whom I go into this in uh, great detail. I'm very, very selective about who I coach. Yep. But uh, I do go into that. I have books and I they can subscribe to my blog and I go into uh, I create content on a regular basis, which I send out. Amazing. And what happens is once you begin this journey, you will find that whatever you need mm. does appear some way, mm. somehow. Just because it's the universe and the lots of years working together, correct? Yeah, incredible. And for those that want to tune into the blog, the blog is the best place to access that is um, the the Rao Institute dot com. And you can join the community there, and that's the easiest Click way to Click on the button, that. join our community, and yep. that'll get you there. And keep getting <clears throat> access to these insights, I guess, yeah. yeah. And so um, is there anything um, you wanted to share just before we sort of wrap this up? Yes, absolutely. It is a wonderful world, despite what you read in the headlines, despite the doom and gloom that is being pervaded, it is fundamentally a wonderful world. And it is your job to recognize it, anchor yourself on it, and continue to make it better for yourself and for everybody else. Thank you so much for sharing that insight and your wisdom and your time and energy here today. My pleasure entirely. <laughs> and uh, I just, while I have the opportunity to thank you, I also just want to take the opportunity to thank you for just the consistently showing up to do the work in your life to inform the presence that is here with us today you know thank you it's a lot of it's my pleasure i'm deeply grateful to all of the people like yourself who you know come to me for who showed up for my session yesterday and it uh, it makes me feel this hope <laughs> here's to hope thank you so much namaste <laughs> Hey tribe, thanks for tuning in to another fun, enlightening episode of the Inspired Evolution. I've been loving all the feedback and personal stories of love, uh, health and growth. Your feedback and stories are incredibly welcome. The easiest way to connect with me is via my website, which is www.amrit-sandu.com. You can leave me a message or a comment. It's one of my highest values to connect, so I love to connect and love to hear from you. You can also find me on Facebook, Amrit Sandu. And if the content has been resonating with you, you can help the Inspired Evolution out in a big way by liking the YouTube channel, subscribing to the Inspired Evolution, or the Facebook page, like that please, at the Inspired Evolution, or by leaving a review on iTunes if you're on an Apple device. And also, if the Inspired Evolution episodes are inspiring an evolution within you, or you can feel the inspiration is valuable for your team to evolve to the next level, you can head on over to www.amrit-sandu.com to see how the Inspired Evolution can help you and your team thrive. Much love, tribe. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.